0: Welcome to the Thomistic Institute podcast. Our mission is to promote the Catholic intellectual tradition in the university, the church, and the wider public square. The lectures on this podcast are organized by university students at Thomistic Institute chapters around the world. To learn more and to attend these events, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. I'm going to begin with a recapitulation that expands upon some points that i very briefly glossed and before talking about friendship with god charity i'm going to dwell for a minute on thomas's account of the effects of love and my hope is that doing this will bring into focus some aspects of of charity Friendship with God, your friendship with God and mine, that uh, that might otherwise uh, go missing. And then I want to make very explicit in what sense charity fulfills the criteria of friendship, as they've been discussed. And I want to conclude by saying something specific about the principal act of charity, the love of God. And then... Uh, the love of oneself and one's neighbor, okay? And like this morning, my hope is, or I guess it was just this afternoon, my hope is to finish up with plenty of time for some discussion, some questions, okay? So I wanna begin here, I wanna back up and I wanna say a little bit more about the nature of love as Thomas understands it. I said earlier that Thomas, gets it from, did I say he gets it from Aristotle's rhetoric? He gets it from Aristotle's rhetoric that to love someone or something most basically in every instance consists in willing some good to another. Now, surprise, surprise, there's a distinction to be made here. We can talk about love more specifically. We can divide love into two basic kinds. And Thomas calls the kind of love that we're most interested in today, the love of friendship or friendship love. Okay. And there's another kind of, of love that we want to distinguish from that called, we can just call it the love of concupiscence. It's, it's not a great, uh, it's not a very catchy title, but uh, hopefully by distinguishing these two, you'll, you'll better understand what we're, talking about what we're not talking about when we're talking about the sort of love involved in friendship with God and the love of others in God. Okay. So what Thomas says here, and he has multiple ways of of making this distinction, but the most most essential distinction between these two kinds of love is that friendship love or love of friendship is the sort of love one has when one wills some good to another for their own sake. Okay. It's distinct from love of concupiscence, which consists in willing some good to oneself. Okay. So you can hear this distinction in our, even today in our ordinary use of the term love. So, you might say, I love hamburgers, or I just, I just love, uh, um, I don't know, a Van Morrison, okay? or Van Morrison's music, that's better. When I say I love hamburgers, I'm not saying that I will the good to hamburgers. Or some good to hamburgers. What I'm saying is, I love hamburgers for me. In this instance, I am willing some good to someone, but the hamburger isn't the thing I'm willing the good toward. Rather, it's the case that when I say I love hamburgers, I'm saying I love me, and I love hamburgers for me. And that's the kind of love that's involved in, say, um, love of friend, uh, love of um, or friendships of pleasure. You might say, oh, I just love the, these people that you carry on with. And in some respect that's true, but very often in the final analysis, what's being said is, I love these people, I will them some good, but more fundamentally, I, I'm treating them as goods that I will for myself. Okay, you can't will. You can't love uh, an object like a hamburger uh, with the love of friendship, which is the kind of friendship or kind of love that is essential to uh, friendship properly so-called, and not least charity or friendship with God. So that's the first thing we have to do is to distinguish this one kind of love from another. All right, so. In this instance, you're always willing some good for its own sake. Now that can include self-love. Okay. But, um, but, but maybe we can talk more about that in the QA. What I really want to dilate on and just dwell on for a minute is Thomas's account of the effects of love. Now, We've talked about love in terms of a habit, a habitual disposition that from which actions may then follow. Thomas also talks about love in terms of passion, and and we talked a bit about the passions this morning and and touched upon them last night. When we're talking about love, now we're talking about. I'm going to talk about love in terms of uh, of a kind of an affection, a kind of feeling that's. That corresponds to a passion, but it doesn't necessarily involve those uh, those bodily um, uh, effects that we were we were attributing to the passions. Um, so here we're going to talk about love. What we're asking is essentially what follows from this love of friendship. What what's it like? What does it entail? Okay, you might you might wonder whether or not we we should call these effects of love because they are they follow from this kind of love so immediately that they pra- practically belong to it itself. All right? Thomas gives us this beautiful, elaborate treatise on the effects of love in the first part of the second part of the Summa. And I'm going to just talk about a bit of them now. And what I want you to do is, See if you can recognize um, the truth in, in uh, Thomas's count of these things. So he says the first effect of love. The, the, the first thing that is most characteristic of love when it obtains is a kind of a union. He means this in multiple senses, all right? So the first sense in which... Love of friendship, and I'll just—I I won't keep saying love of friendship. I'm just going to talk about love now. You'll know I'm talking about love and friendship. Says the first effect is union, and and in a very particular sense, and that is, notice this: friends are moved by love to be together, to be united in reality. Uh. Where are you going to be with my friends? Why? What do you mean, why? That's what we do. But there's another sense in which love entails a kind of union. And Thomas calls this union of affection. All right. Union of affection consists in Loving what one's friend loves, feeling as they feel. Um, So rejoicing in their flourishing, sorrowing over their, their, their misfortune. You come to identify with your friend in such a way that you share a mind, you share a heart with them. Yeah. So it's making sense of your of your actual friendships. It's if it doesn't, then we should hit pause because none of this matters at all unless it is actually describing our lives as they are. So there's it's not only the case that friends are moved to to be together as far as possible. Okay, and it's not only the case that Friends identify with one another. Thomas then goes on to talk about a kind of mutual indwelling. What's this like? Well, yeah, you, can, you can hear, uh, say, in the Apostle Paul's letters, he'll sometimes say, I, I'm, I carry you in my heart. Or, I, I long to be with you. When we carry someone in our heart, we, are, it, we, we carry their interests within us. We dwell upon them. We think about them to the point where it's as though we are carrying them with us. It's as though they, they are a part of us. And insofar as friendship always involves not just loving someone, but loving someone by whom one is loved, it follows that to be a friend, to be befriended, is to, be, is to not only carry someone within your own heart, but to be carried in theirs. And this, so we don't want to say this is a metaphor. We, we might be speaking, there might be some figured out ad- respect in which we're saying these things, but as we'll come to see in the case of charity, it's literally the case. It's actually the case that God dwells in you. And it's actually the case that God has, in some mysterious way, made a home for you in himself. Okay? The third point, and you, you can begin to see there's a kind of, there's a, a logic to the way in which these effects are explained. This is the order in which Thomas wants to discuss them. Uh, I've put the Latin here, ecstasis. You can call this ecstasy, but you just have to remember this has nothing to do with glow sticks and nightclubs and things like that, okay? (laughs) This is uh, uh, ecstasis. It means most basically uh, a way in which one is carried outside of themselves. And yes, there are uh, in human life, in, in the Catholic Christian life there are moments in which we can be carried out of ourselves through mystical experience through um, through potent uh, experiences of God. Thomas is talking though more practically I mean so he doesn't he he, he recognizes this he has quite a lot to say about this uh, in, in different places but He's thinking also, in the more practical sense in which we are, as friends, characteristically carried outside of ourselves. Okay? So, sometimes we talk today about, uh, well, we might talk about our comfort zone. Or we talk about, um, how else will we put this? Um, A a safe space. Uh, Something along these lines. Friendship is, in, in view, the kind of love that's involved in it will will move you to do things uh, that you wouldn't otherwise do. It doesn't involve a, a loss of of cognitive capacity or a uh, it's, it, it's or a kind of uh, rupture of rationality. I mean, it's it's perfectly reasonable, in fact, right? And and you'll notice. This is the case, I think, uh, more and more as you begin to have children, you'll see that, uh, that your love for other people is, can carry you beyond your comfort zone um, in, in ways that you, you wouldn't ordinarily or otherwise be moved. Okay. Related to this is what Thomas calls zeal. Zeal is an effect of love. Zeal is the, the, the part of love that has to do with our zealous defense pr- and protection of the things that we love. Have you ever heard the expression, wow, uh, she's a real mama bear? No? Uh, this is a, in, in the States, at least. we you know, a, a mother who's fiercely devoted to the well-being of her children, looking out for her kids all the time. You know, if someone crosses them, they, you know, they, they, they go in a split second from being just a docile, pleasant person to being a mama bear, right? (laughs) Um, That's the zeal of love. It's the part of love that moves us to, um, to protect, to preserve, to, um, to thwart any potential dangers, and these, this is just an aspect of life. When, when you love someone, you, and you come to identify with them as though they're another self, you carry them within yourself just as they do you. You're moved in ways that you wouldn't otherwise be moved. And um, you're not only moved to secure their well-being, but you are powerfully moved to protect them. You know, if someone messes with your friend, it, it, rightly so, you, 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 you ought to be on the alert. I, I, I have a number of brothers, and one brother in particular, he was always getting himself into tough situations. And um, there were a number of times in high school, I just remember very, you know, there was a lot of zeal there. There had to be uh, in order to take care of. My little brother, he he required quite a lot of zeal. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now to recapitulate, we've said now that there's something called friendship in human life, and true friendship obtains whenever two more two people love one another with love of friendship. Okay, we discuss, describe now in in more uh, detail, what that love is like. Okay, what are its notes, its characteristics? And we've said that friendship will obtain when two people love one another with the same kind of love, and love, which is to say, uh, mutually, and they're not only wishing one another well, but actually engaged in the concrete pursuit of Of each other's good, willing each other and work, willing one another the same goods and working in pursuit of those goods. That's friendship in its maximal picture. And Thomas, he does remark on this conception of friendship in his commentary on Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics, but he's principally interested in this conception of friendship because he thinks that it brings into vivid display what uh, christ means when he tells us that we are indeed his friends okay so first thing i want to say before i we get into this is is just that this is not intended as a metaphor it's not. It's not a acute way of putting things. It is. Thomas thinks. I think, and I think, if you will consider it, you'll agree. This is an. This is a description of of the life that we are given to live in Christ. It's. It's. Um, and so, to the extent that you're able to uh, lash to and appropriate these distinctions and these ideas, the hope here now is that your, your own relationship with God and your relationship, as we'll see, to others will come into sharper focus, and, uh, and we pray that um, there'll be many uh, fruits that will come of that. So look, Thomas says, There is indeed a fellowship, a kind of communicatio between human beings and God. And that, commu- that fellowship is instantiated, brought about, made real, first and foremost, in the person of Christ, who is both God and man. It's the dwelling of God and man together in Christ, who, by his righteousness, through his death and resurrection, through his ascension, through his defeat and subjection of the powers and principalities of this world, and as the head of grace, as the giver of all good things, as God in the flesh, he then distributes to us his grace. He puts us, he brings us, not only brings us into his good favor, but he actually gives us something, grace that will transform us into into the kinds of human beings who are fit to live lives as children and indeed, as friends of God. What is this communicatio? What is this fellowship? What does it aim at? So I said earlier that every fellowship, every every concrete context in which every true friendship is rooted, will be will consist in the pursuit of some good. Thomas says, and that's exactly what we see in the gospel this is the this is the good news that god has set up has made real a real fellowship between us and him and the good that we now may pursue with god is it's god isn't that great i mean that that's that is how wondrous, unfathomably good the Lord is, that he would, he, would, he would not let anything get in the way of sharing his very self with us. And he doesn't just <clears throat> disrupt our humanity. He doesn't simply do this for us. He invites us into a friendship in which we can become active participants in our own pursuit of God. Yeah? How does this happen? Or or what does it entail? Well, it doesn't happen, says Thomas, Uh, by God one day taking notice of how much you love him and be, Him then being uh, pricked or impressed by your affection for him that he that loves you in return. No, it's just the other way. Uh, God loves us from all eternity with the kind of love by which He wills us to be and to exist and to flourish for our own good. Okay, what does that mean? That God loves us. Well, you're you're learning now. When you hear the word love, it's being used well. What will be what what it will mean is that someone is willing something good. For someone else. And the good that God wills you is God. Isn't that amazing? There's no greater love than that because there's no greater love than God. There's nothing greater you can love, you can want for someone. There's nothing more God could give you than himself. And that's what he's done. He's done this. He's transformed you. He has he and, and this is a literal transformation by which you are changed from the deepest core of your being. You are infused with the very love of God, charity. Okay? Which is a which is a habit by which you can then love God in return with the same love by which God loves you. This is a friendship. It's a real, live, ongoing, established, enduring pursuit of God with God's help. Okay, I think that this is a, this is a powerful, and again, it's not a metaphor, but this is a powerful exposition that that we get from Thomas of. The Christian life as it really is. And now I, I want to turn um, to talk about the principal act of this friendship as Thomas understands it, and, and that's the act of charity, love of God uh, first and foremost, and then the love of oneself and one's neighbor. So we have it on the authority of christ that the whole law is contained in two commands to love god do you know this and to love your neighbor as yourself now let's talk first about what it is we're saying when we are when we're when we love god when we're enabled to love god and this is a this is there's a puzzle here or a number of puzzles that were partly raised um, in the earlier lecture. So we've already said it's it's it should be clear by right now that when we say that God loves us in charity, we're saying that God wills God's self for us. What do we? What is the good that we will for God? Someone said earlier. Well, look, there's. There's no way in which something can accrue to God through our love. What do we want for God in the love of charity? I'm asking now, what do we want? We want His glory. We want the, it's the, the fullness of His everlasting goodness, his lordship. It is not, when we're wanting this for God, Thomas thinks, it's not as though we're willing something, that something be the case for God that isn't already the case. It's more of an affirmation. It's a recognition and a celebration of of what is always already the case. Yeah? Yeah. In addition to loving God, charity involves loving everything in light of God, and that includes oneself and one's neighbor. And this is this this last point that I really want to talk about. These are these last two points. So, um, you know, we talk about um, self-love. We talk about self-care. We and we even talk in very vague terms about charity about christian love but we uh i don't think enough pause to ask what is it we're saying what should we be saying what ought we to mean what should when we're meditating on charity what are we meditating upon what are we conforming ourselves to and why what's the logic of charity so the first thing to say is um that to love oneself out of charity means, most fundamentally, to, um, to recognize that one's greatest good is indeed kind of union with God, friendship with God. What To love oneself truly is to want for oneself, to will oneself, nothing but this friendship with God. And notice this isn't a means to something else. That would reduce charity to a kind of friendship of utility. You know, I would never, I would never come to your, to you and your friends on a Friday night and say, yeah, but what's the angle here? What, what, what uh, well, who's this versus, and what, are, what are we trying to get out of this? You go. I'm not sure you understand what it is we're doing here. This is it. It's like Peter, the transfiguration. You know, it's so good. He thinks, are we going to, we're going to stay here? Should we pop a couple tents? I mean, what, what's the, what, this is it, right? It's that good. Now, this is what you're wanting for yourself in a life lived and pursued God, founded on this springship, this fellowship. It's you're wanting for yourself and among many other things that you'll have to want, you're wanting God for yourself. And it's what, um, when we're, when we're called to love others as ourselves, then what are we saying? We're saying we, what we, when I say, I love you, I'm saying, I want you to know God and to love God and to know that you are known and loved by God. And I want that to be the case forever. Okay. Last thing to say, a beautiful insight that Thomas has about the extension of charity to others. He says that when we come to love others in our ordinary friendships, Notice this is the case. And you'll, again, you'll begin to notice this when you have children, have children and your friends have children. You notice that uh, your friends begin to have children and you are spontaneously, without having to uh, command uh, or yourself or to, to work up some special affection, you are inclined almost by necessity to love these little people. Okay. And it's a strange phenomena when you begin to recognize, I don't love these little people and they annoy me <laughs> and, and they're terrible. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, I mean, your friend's kid can only throw a football at your face so many times before and you're like, yeah, uh, um, you don't stop loving them. Uh, But your love for them is mediated. You see, you can't be wanting your friend's well-being if your friend's well-being is deeply, inextricably invested in the well-being of others, right? I can't say to my friends, oh, I love you. I don't care what happens to your kids, but I love you, (laughs) right? There would be something Radically inconsistent with the, the, the very nature of friendship, if that were the case, and um, isn't it isn't it true that our love is just naturally least in this direction? Thomas thinks that when we are challenged by the difficulties of the second command, uh, the second love command, that we ought that we ought to meditate on on this reality. And um, begin to see the way in which uh, God is calling us to find in others not their worst, um, their their worst characteristics or their deficits, uh, but to find in them, to see in them the the image of God. That they too are, are God's children. And um, this is, I think, uh, um, something that we have to look um, to the Saints for help with as examples. Thanks for listening to this lecture on the Thomistic Institute podcast. The generosity of people like you makes this podcast possible. If you enjoy these talks, please consider showing your support at www.toisticticinstitut.org slash donate. Your donation of even a dollar helps us reach more college students and many others with the powerful truths of the faith, and it ensures that we can keep publishing top-notch lectures on this podcast. Thanks a lot.